I like cute clothes. I like having stylish outfits and I hate shopping. Armoire makes getting dressed easier. Armoire is a clothing rental membership option. And Janet and I recently have both tried it out. And you guys, it is so much fun. You go to their website, you get to take a little quick style quiz, takes five minutes, and then you get presented a list of beautiful clothing, pictures, wonderful clothes that you can pick out and get delivered to your house for you to try and wear in the comfort of your own home without going out and determine what looks cute, put together outfits without investing a ton of money. Right now, our listeners can give Armoire a try and get up to 50% off your first month. That is up to $125 off. Just visit armoire.style slash envoys. That's armoire.style, A-R-M-O-I-R-E, dot style slash envoys to get 50% off your first month and never have to worry about what to wear again. Try armoire today. This is On Boys Parenting Podcast. We are your co-hosts, Jennifer L.W. Fink, mom of four boys. And I'm Janet Allison, teacher of many more. Thanks for joining us as we share real talk about parenting, teaching, and reaching tomorrow's men. One in eight children has an anxiety disorder. Two to three percent of kids ages six to 12 and six to eight percent of teens have serious depression. And each day in the United States, more than 3,000 kids in grades nine through 12, and this is just grades nine through 12, if we added in younger kids, the number would be higher more than 3,000 kids attempt suicide. Odds are good that your son knows or will know one of these kids or will be one of these kids. Our guest today is Christy Hugstad, author of a new book, Beneath the Surface, A Teen's Guide to Reaching Out When You or a Friend is in Crisis. Christy lost her husband to suicide in 2012 and is now a grief recovery specialist who frequently talks to teens and parents about mental health. Christy also hosts the Grief Girl podcast. Christy, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. Increasingly, parents are beginning to realize that they need to talk to their kids about tough topics, mental health anxiety, depression, and suicide. But those are difficult conversations for parents to have. And often, I think, uh, parents don't consider the fact that kids reach out to each other for help. How can we talk to our boys about what to watch for and, and how to respond? This is complex stuff. Well, it is. And for a lot of parents, teachers, administrators, adults, it's, it's such a tough conversation. You know, it used to be the sex talk, right? And now we're talking about depression and anxiety and cyberbullying. And so 
as a, a health educator, I'm an actual health teacher, I know how difficult it is, especially for teachers, mm-hmm. to start that conversation. And that's what inspired me to write the book Beneath the Surface. And it's one thing for me to say, hey, we need to talk about it. Let's start those conversations. But if it's a difficult topic to discuss, the problem is, well, how do I do that? Right. So at the end of the book, for each chapter, I made a list of discussion questions. So the teacher can use that as a lesson plan when the parent wants to sit down with their teen and and tackle those important issues. They can get on the same page with their child and they can use the discussion questions as a resource. And it's a plan designed for them to have that conversation. So it's one thing to say, hey, come on, everybody, let's, let's work together to abolish that stigma of mental illness and start those conversations. It's another thing to give them an actual plan of how to do that. And that, I think, is the missing link right now. It's one of the things I, I love about your book. Um, the discussion questions in the back are, you know, whether you use them word for word or not, it helps the adults sort of focus the conversation. So for instance, one of the chapters in your book is explicitly about suicide. And the discussion questions include, why do you think some people consider suicide? Which is a great open-ended question to engage in deep conversation with your son. I've had those conversations and it's interesting because it, it gives you insight to their perspective. Well, the thing that most people don't understand is that suicide is not a selfish act. And I know for me, when my husband died by suicide, the common response was, how could he have done that to you? How could he have done that to his father? His father was actually on the train he ran in front of. So, I mean, his father was 80 years old. He, he was so devastated that he's never recovered. Mm-hmm. But what people need to understand, and you need to understand this so that you can relate to your team, is that all you want to do really is end the pain. And especially for a teen, their whole world is their school and their home life. And if their parents are putting pressure on them to get good grades and they feel like they can't measure up or if they're being bullied at school, they have to go to school and they have to face that emotional pain. So I think for teens, it's important that we realize it's not so much that they want to die. They just want to end that emotional pain and their brains are not fully developed. So in their minds, their only escape is to take their life. Mm-hmm. One of the things that you wrote in your book that rang very true to me, you say that depression is a thief and a liar. And I personally um, struggle with depression and I, I went to counseling. I now take an antidepressant daily. I get that now, but I didn't because it's so real when your brain is telling you that things are terrible, things are never going to get better. And the thought crosses your mind that I am just bringing pain to the people around me. It all feels so, so, so true. How can parents and teachers and other adults help teenagers understand this concept? I think the most important thing is we need to teach our teens that depression is an illness and there is help and there is hope. And once you understand that it is an illness, 
just like cancer, diabetes, and you need treatment, it takes away some of its power and it's a little less scary. And I'm sure for you, when you were growing up, nobody told you that you can have a disease of the mind, right? That's what major depression is. You just think that the world is a very dark place and you don't want to be in it anymore. And so I think it's important to really understand that it's a disease. And once we all get on the same page and acknowledge that, people are going to be a lot more apt to reach out for help. If you had cancer, you wouldn't just sit and hope it goes away. You know, yeah, you, would no. immediately, you would immediately seek treatment, do what you need to do to conquer that disease. And the same thing goes for mental illness. But we, are, we still have such a long way to go to abolish the stigma. And especially for boys, you know, they're brought up a little bit differently. My husband bought into that stigma and it cost him his life. Men typically think that mental illness is a sign of weakness and therefore they don't reach out to get help and it is costing lives. So I want to back up a little bit what you said about, you know, this is, this is the harder talk to have than the sex talk. And we know from many of our sex experts that we need to start the conversations early and they start little. And then as the child grows, they expand and get more complex. And so let's kind of back up, back out from the teen years into the tween years and even in elementary school. And what is your advice for listeners who kids are still young and they're, you know, they're worried about the teen years, but how can we start to break this open earlier and not wait until they're teens to start talking about mental illness and depression and even suicide? Well, I think, you know, the tween years, the questions need to be pretty simple and basic and just make those 12-year-olds and those 11-year-olds realize that their mental health is just as important as their physical health. And that's why the earlier, the better. And just keep it really basic. You have to be on their level. You have to ask these young tweens, how are you feeling today? You know, Are you feeling sad? Was there anybody at school that was kind of quiet today? Was there anybody that you noticed that was sitting alone at lunch? And what can you do to make them feel happy? So basic conversation needs to start as young as possible. Just like kids will say, you know, I have a really sore throat and I can't go to school. A lot of these kids, when they are very stressed and they have a lot of anxiety, it will manifest itself physically and they'll really have a stomach ache or a headache and they're real. But the underlying cause is the anxiety and they don't want to go to school for some reason. So rather than just say, you know what, get out of bed, you have to go to school, realize that maybe those headaches and stomach aches are real and let's get to the bottom of what is causing that. That's something that as a parent, it's taken me longer to realize than I wish it had. My younger son, who is 13 now, in hindsight, I'm realizing that some of those things that he was describing as stomach aches when he was younger were probably anxiety related, but I didn't get that connection at the time. You just wanted him to get out of bed and get to school. (laughs) 
And you know what? If you think back to when we were kids, if I didn't want to go to school, even just because I wanted to stay at home, you know, we fake headaches and stomach aches, or I have a sore throat, or you fake cough. So it's tough to navigate what's real and what's not. But some of those physical ailments are a result of anxiety. And there might be something going on at school that is giving them so much stress that they really don't want to go for a good reason. And I think it's important for parents and teachers to be aware of that. And I will say that schools are beginning to recognize that kids do need mental health days. In Oregon, we actually passed a bill in the legislature last year that allows kids to take mental health days as sick days at school. Wow. Yes. That's so amazing. Yeah. So little bits of progress, but it's still really important to recognize they may be telling you they have a stomach ache, but it can be so much more than that. And to just acknowledge that. And Christy, what's your advice on how a parent can navigate that in the moment? Whether the moment is your kid is saying, oh, my head hurts, my stomach hurts, I can't go to school. Let's talk about that one. And then let's also talk about where, you know, that's already gone past, but now a couple more headaches and stomach aches later, you're starting to go, maybe there's something more going on here. How do we have these conversations with our kiddos? It's important to sit down with them. If they're lying in bed, you sit on the bed next to them and you meet them where they are. And you don't judge them for that. You don't make them feel like there's anything wrong with having anxiety. And you just open the conversation is, I understand that you have a headache and stomach ache, and I feel bad as your mom. And let's talk about what's going on at school. Is there something going on at school that you want to talk to me about? Because I remember when I, you know, I was your age, sometimes, you know, kids are mean and I didn't want to go to school. And I really want to help you get rid of these stomach aches and headaches because it's happening a lot. And I think sometimes things that are going on with your friends or at school can actually make you sick. It's interesting, Janet, I'd be curious if this is your experience with boys as well. But in my experience, sitting there on the bed, having that conversation, laying out the opening, you know, is there something going on at school? In that moment, it is very likely that my boys will tell me, nope, everything's fine. I just don't feel good. But it's also likely that then a little bit later, if there is something going on, then they'll come back around. The important thing isn't that I get the information out of them in the moment, but that I've expressed a willingness. And then when they're ready, they will say it. Do you find that that tends to be how boys work as well, Janet? Absolutely. And when they're ready, it's likely not when you are ready. So (laughs) it's at the busiest time, dinner's on the stove, but it's so important to pause and, or keep doing what you're doing. And he might even be more likely to talk Mm -hmm. if you're busy and there's a little less eye contact and that, that intensity. But I think as parents of boys being you kind of have to be a detective or a, you know and wait for those little tiny crumbs that they might sprinkle out for us and and i think that to christy's point you know it's really important to have a a sense of what's going on with the friendships and you know 
kids or friendships are flowing and moving and changing. And so to just kind of keep a barometer of what's going on with the friendships, even if you're checking in with the other kids' parents to see, you know, oh, are they still a group or has a couple kids split off and they're with another group? So it's so crucial. I mean, that can be a big factor in in kids' happiness or sadness in school. Uh, Let's pause for a moment for this message and we'll be right back. Today's show is brought to you by Audible. Audible is offering our listeners a free audiobook with a 30-day free trial membership. You can go to audibletrial.com slash onboys and grab a free copy of Christie's book, Beneath the Surface, A Teen's Guide for Reaching Out When You or Your Friend is in Crisis. This is a great book to listen to together. Just go to audibletrial.com slash onboys to download your free audiobook and start listening. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash onboys. Oftentimes when teens get in trouble, our first reaction as parents is to take away their phones. How, what, what are your thoughts about that? Because we're immediately isolating them from their friends when we do that. Well, that's a tough one um, because you don't want to add to their anxiety, which taking away their phone and disconnecting them from their peers and I guess their life is going to make them even more stressed. I think it's important for all parents to limit their social media time, their time on their phone cut it off early in the evening. I don't know that it's the best idea to take it away completely. Um, I just think that that's going to make them more stressed and more anxious. But the most important thing for kids and adults too, is they should never go to bed with their phone or any social media. That needs to be cut off several hours before they go to bed because one of the biggest stressors for teens is lack of sleep. Mm-hmm. And if they don't get a good night's sleep, they cannot cope. And we know what that feels like when you don't sleep. Your next day, you do not have the capacity to make good decisions. And so, yet it took me until I was in my 40s to really take it seriously. Like intellectually, you know it, but it's hard to do. It is. And it's one of the most important things in self-care. And and the problem with our teens is their brains aren't fully developed. And so they act on impulse. And if they haven't had a decent night's sleep, that's going to just make their decision-making ability even more compromised. Mm -hmm. So, you know, going back to your question, I don't know if restricting their phone usage 100% is the answer, but definitely parents need to keep an eye on it and and dial it back and especially nothing after after probably dinner time because that's when all the cyberbullying happens right yeah. so yeah that's a that's a tough one it, really it is, is a tough one it's going to be a challenge to cut off the phone use after dinner time that's for sure but i think part of part of the puzzle is rather than the resistance of parents always about the phone is to soften a little bit and acknowledge, wow, I know you really want to stay connected with your friends and this is really important. And 
you need some space. I think it's really important for parents to uh, say, you know, I mean, we do it when we take our kids camping or we take them somewhere and it's like no phones and we get them away from that stressor and which can be fun, but it's still that that plugged in place. So sometimes, and I've had teens tell me, I feel so relieved when my parents say, this is a screen-free event or this is a screen-free day and to have the rule in place that you're going to unplug. And there's actually a sense of relief for them to be unplugged from social media. And I think the important thing is all parents need to get on the same page with that. So your child doesn't feel like they're the only one that's completely unplugged. So I struggle, listeners, regular listeners will have heard me talk about this before, but it's a huge challenge if you are a a divorced or co-parenting family and the parents aren't on the same page. Huge challenge. I hear from parents all the time how bath time can be such an ordeal. And yet bath time can be really fun. In fact, here in the very cold winter, we use bath time as an activity. Dabble and Dollop has got this dialed in because they have bath products that are not only natural, healthy, free of toxins, all the things we want for our kids, but they're fun. Jen, you said when your boys were young, they loved to make potions. My son Tyler had so much fun mixing things together, making potions, recipes. He would have loved Dabble and Dollop's Day at the Beach bath mixing set because it's a collection of soap scents and a little mixing thing and your kids can combine scents and make their own creations. It is exactly the kind of thing that can turn bath time into a fun, enjoyable, creative endeavor instead of just a fight. And I will say the bubbles have been bow tested in the bathtub and they last. They stay bubbles for a long time. Dabble and Dollop has everything from bath time shampoos, bubble baths, body washes, conditioners, lotions, bath bombs, bath toys and accessories. There's so many things to explore at Dabble and Dollop. Go to dabbleanddollop.com slash onboys to get 20% off your first order. That's dabbleanddollop.com slash onboys, 20% off for being an onboys listener. Yes, that's why it's the parents need to form a sense of community and make sure that they're all unplugging their kids and it's not just yours mm-hmm. because then they feel like they're the only one and they're alone and that's going to create more anxiety. Right. I wonder what your thoughts are about, so we're talking about, you know, our kids having anxiety, our kids having depression. What are your thoughts on when a parent has anxiety or depression or suicidal tendencies or is struggling with their own mental health? What advice do you have for how much you share that with your kiddos? And, you know, just to get it more complicated, you know, what if it is a co-parent and you're not co-parenting very seamlessly? Well, I think it's important for parents to lead by by example. So I think it's important that you talk about it, that you show your kids that you're reaching out and you're getting help. 
And it's a normal part of life. We all, at some point in our lives, have problems emotionally and mentally. So it's not something to hide. If you had cancer, you, would you share that with your kids and say, you know, I'm having treatment. This is where I'm going. And the hmm. same conversation also needs to happen with our mental health. So we as adults need to lead by example and they're watching us. So that's a real teachable moment. And yes, I think it's so important for us to have those conversations and they will watch you reach out for help, go to appointments, uh, practice self-care. So I absolutely think that it's an important conversation to have. That's an interesting one for me because I uh, reached out and finally got the help I needed when the kids were young. And really my kids were my impetus. You know, I felt like, and I know this is depression talking, but I felt like I was a bad mother and I was going to damage my kids. That was my impetus. It wasn't that I felt bad. I was worried about hurting other people. So I, I did counseling for years. I started on an antidepressant related to your cancer question. I don't have cancer currently, but I'm at risk for cancer. And I do take a medication to decrease that risk. I started doing all of these things when my kids were little, which meant there was no easy opening to be like, hey, um, so mommy could get cancer someday, but I'm trying really, really hard not to. I didn't have those conversations when they were small, and it has been awkward to address it now. Well, on the other hand, it would be like saying to your kids, you know, mommy could have depression, major depression, but I'm taking medication, so it's a possibility. Mm -hmm. That's a little bit different than actually having cancer or having depression because it's real and it's a part of your mm -hmm. life. And I really think that kids need to know that that is a, a reality, not just a possibility. My 16-year-old asked me a couple weeks ago, out of the blue, as they do, right, Janet? Mm -hmm. Out of the blue, he's walking through the kitchen and he goes, hey, um, do we have a family history of anxiety or depression? And that was an opening right there. And it is also the kind of thing that made me realize, so he's thinking about something, right? Mm-hmm. So I shared openly, you know, family history and I shared uh, my story and I, hopefully that helps normalize it. And then I circled back to him later as well to kind of try and figure out what inspired that question from him. That well, makes me think they've been talking about it in school health class too. Yeah, it makes yeah. me think that maybe my kid started realizing that all of his headaches and stomach aches and leg aches might actually be related to anxiety. Mm -hmm. We talked a little bit about social media and how important it is for kids and connecting. And um, one of our friends that we've had on the podcast before, Katie McPherson, who works with kids and talks a lot about suicide prevention, points out that almost always kids are saying things somewhere in their social media. How can we equip our kids to sort of know what to look for and how to respond if they have a friend who is in trouble? Well, I think it's really important for our kids to know the warning signs and risk factors of depression and suicide. Not only the kids, but the parents, 
-hmm. the teachers, administrators, or anybody that works with teens. So if I I like to think of it as your child or your loved teen suddenly becomes somebody that you no longer recognize. Their behaviors are changing. They're withdrawn. They don't want to engage in what was once um, an activity that they enjoyed. Their circle of friends are changing. Their eating and sleeping habits are changing. Um, They don't care about their appearance. So there's so many warning signs and risk factors. and And a risk factor, as your son asked you, is genetics. Right. So I'm thinking, you know, maybe... He was reaching out to you at that point, and you're right, maybe in the health classes, they were discussing genetics. So that's really the main gist of my book, is getting all of us on the same page to recognize the warning signs and risk factors, because that's what's going to help save lives, either your teens or your teens' peers or someone in your family. So that is where it starts. And it's not just the kids that need to learn them the teachers, parents, everybody. Because when you are in the middle of depression or anxiety, you can't function properly. Like you can't function. Reaching out for help is very difficult at that point. So we need to all know these signs. Somebody else needs to help you then. At that point, you might not be able to help yourself. Absolutely. You feel like you are walking around with this enormous dark cloud over you Mm 24-7. And I know for my husband, too, I think he didn't have the ability to reach out for help. I think there was a point where he was so clinically depressed that he could hardly get out of bed. He couldn't advocate for himself. So that we need to know that about someone that has chronic depression, they really are in so deep that they can't advocate for themselves. That's why everybody in your circle of friends and in your family need to know those signs. And a simple question like, are you okay? Can open up that dialogue Mm -hmm. to say, you know what? I'm not, I'm not okay. And I do need help, but you're right. Waiting for them to ask for help as you know, probably isn't going to happen. I think this is, it is so important. And yet it goes against our sensibility of, oh, I don't want to intrude. I don't want to overstep. You know, we just have this, this rugged individualism in this country and you don't want to cross that boundary. Maybe it's a neighbor, maybe it's a a parent of your child, or maybe it's a friend of your child and you're seeing these things. I mean, and there's always that hesitation. Do I call the other parent? Do I, maybe I'm overstepping. And I would say in this regard, overstep, risk being embarrassed, do it anyway. If you and trust your gut. If you have concerns, if you're seeing things that don't look quite right, say something. Well, I think too, to your point, if you don't reach out, if you don't ask those questions, are you okay? How can I help? Uh, I'm here to listen. If you don't, and that person does end up taking their life. Think that through. Yeah. You will spend the rest of your life wondering, 
why didn't I say something? I knew that they were struggling. I knew they were depressed and I didn't want to intrude. They need to know that someone cares. There's nothing intrusive about that. Yeah. And, and by intervening and letting somebody know that you care can actually be life-saving. You know, this is changing the culture too, because as you said, Janet, we come from this place, rugged individualism. I can handle it all myself. As you said before, Christy, our men and boys especially are marinated in this idea they should be able to handle everything themselves. But psychologically, emotionally, spiritually, we are wired to be in connection with each other. We can't do mental health alone. Mental health requires connection with other humans. So part of this for us, and this is why it's so hard, is it's changing this paradigm to say, we have to look out for one another and hold each other up and ask for help. Well, absolutely. And you know, we can't do emotional health alone and we can't do physical health alone. True. We need each other. We need resources. We need a sense of community. We all need to be on the same page and look out for one another. You're absolutely right. As suicide rates have been climbing, it is becoming sadly common for kids to know somebody who has committed suicide, uh, a kid in their school, another kid in the community. That's such a vulnerable time for those left, those left behind. What do we adults need to know about how we can best support our kids and each other after there's been a suicide within the community? Well, I think that's when the conversations need to be amped up because we're all great at looking in hindsight, thinking, what could I have done? And teens are going to do that too. Oh, yeah. oh, I did notice that 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 boy who took his life was really quieter. He was sitting by himself. I wish that I had reached out. But I also think the conversation needs to be about treatment and reaching out and talking to your peers and normalizing these conversations about depression and mental illness because there's probably 0% of teens that get through their teen years without major stress stressors right right so everybody can relate to that and it's important for us as adults to let our teens know he had depression. And let's figure out what led to that depression. Was it bullying? Was it cyberbullying? You know, was it anxiety? Was it parental pressure, peer pressure, self-pressure? Did he not get into the colleges that his parents wanted him to get into? Did he feel like he was not living up to society's demands? So I think the conversation needs to go past just, oh, he had depression. Let's dial it back and figure out what led to that because kids can relate to that kind of stress. I just want to highlight one question that is really hard to ask, but it's really important to ask. And that is, are you thinking about hurting yourself? Do you have a plan? And I, I don't know that parents would 
necessarily go to that next step. Talk to us about getting so real. Well, that is a question that needs to be asked because that is letting you know that your child, your teen, your loved one is suicidal and needs help immediately. That should be a question that every parent is prepared to ask because then you know that your child is in crisis. And by not asking, it could be too late. So it is tough, but you need to go there with your kids. The risk of not asking it is far greater than the discomfort of pushing through. Absolutely. Well said. You used the word self-care before, and that really struck me because one of the things we all need to be doing as parents, teachers, adults, is equipping our kids to care for their mental health in the same way that they care for their physical health. And it strikes me that this is hard for many of us because we haven't learned how to do it. Nobody taught us. We didn't prioritize it. So talk a little bit about what parents can be doing to support their mental health and then how how to share that and model that with their children, hopefully to build this arsenal of self-care practices that our children are equipped. Life is going to be hard. It's going to hit them. How can we prepare them to deal with it? It's important for us as adults to lead by example. And we need to get outside, get some vitamin D, get out in nature, uh, get exercise, raise the dopamine levels in your brain. That's so important. Eat right. So by as adults, by us demonstrating to our children that we're taking care of ourselves, and like Janet said, go camping, unplug, take your kids out in nature, get some sunlight, get some exercise, and keep those dopamine levels up. And that is not happening when kids are dialed into their social media 24-7. You know, they are slowly, oftentimes, falling into a depression. And they're also comparing themselves to their peers. That's the generation, the like generation. How many likes are you getting on social media? And their self-esteem is all about how their peers react to them. So that is taking them into a funk and into sometimes a depression. A depression. So to unplug from that, get some sleep, get out and exercise, get involved in activities that you enjoy, whether it's a sport or drawing or drama. And also, I think it's really important for parents to rein back a little bit on putting the pressure on your kids to get straight A's, to go to a certain college, because that pressure, parental pressure, also starts to manifest itself in self-pressure. And kids Mm -hmm. do not want to disappoint. Mm -hmm. So I think physically the self-care is important. And I also think it's important for us to reel back the pressure and let kids live life and not be so all consumed about grades and what college they're getting into and just let them be kids. Well said. Bravo. (laughs) Your boy's mental health is way more important than the grade he gets on his math test. It just is. 
And the, the longer I've been parenting, it's taken me a long time to realize this because I was one of those kids that put a lot of pressure on myself. And then I started doing it to my kids. Grades really don't matter. They just don't. If you are not okay with yourself, it really, all those A's are not going to do you any good. Absolutely. But I think what a lot of parents are thinking is that they can do it all. You can get good grades, you can get into a good college, and and you can get straight A's, and you can be a well-rounded teen and have healthy friends, and you can do it all. Because you're my child and you're special. And I'm laughing because when you say it like that, it sounds like, of course a kid can't do that. I can't pull that off. You can't pull it off. I can't be great in all realms at one time. Christy, one of the things I like about your book is that you have a lot of resources listed in there for teens and for parents. We will include a link to your book and your website in the show notes. Where else can people find you and hook into these resources? Best place would be to go on my website at thegriefgirl.com. And I want to end this by saying these are heavy conversations, but there is so much hope the reason why our suicide rates are climbing and why so many people are hurting is partly because we've not been talking about these things. Anxiety, depression, they are very treatable illnesses. The more we talk about this with our kids and with ourselves, the healthier we're all going to be. We want to change parenting so that it is not this isolating event. We want to talk about the need for connection, not just with our boys, but for parents and for families. We can't do this alone. So we want you to share with your friends as well. We want you to outreach in your community. So pause for a moment, take out your phone, pull up your other boy mom friends and text them a link to our podcast. It's on-boys-podcast.com. Because when we share, we get so much stronger together. Thanks for joining us. We are Jennifer L.W. Fink and Janet Allison, and we are here to support you in parenting and teaching tomorrow's men.